0: This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we hear about a new program in Boulder that aims to protect vulnerable tenants from being evicted.
1: Plus, we learn about the fallout after a Colorado National Guardsman was reprimanded for joining Black Lives Matter protests last summer. I think there are hints of, of racism here.
0: And we explore how Colorado beef producers are looking to establish trade relationships in Southeast Asia.
1: That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Henry Zimmerman.
0: And I'm Erin O'Toole. The economic impacts of the pandemic have put a spotlight on housing instability as Coloradans struggle to pay rent and worry about getting evicted. Even though the federal eviction moratorium has been extended, the housing crisis is huge and perhaps long-lasting. In the second installment of our series on housing insecurity, On the Edge, KUNC's Matt Bloom reports on a new program in Boulder that aims to help tenants through housing insecurity by avoiding eviction.
2: In early March, Christy DeFurio arrived at Boulder County Eviction Court with a sinking feeling in her stomach. Her landlord was trying to kick her out, and she wanted to fight the case but didn't know how. The one thing holding her back? She didn't have a lawyer. She took her seat on a wooden bench in the quiet courtroom and prepared to make her case. I met her that day in court. Once you showed up, I remember the judge saying like, hey, these people are in the back of the room. They're here for your assistance. Like, were you surprised about that?
3: Yeah, yeah, I I, I didn't know what to expect.
2: To her shock, the judge told her, the city already has a lawyer for you. Would you like to speak with him about your rights in this case? Christie said yes. The judge called a recess and she and her new lawyer walked out of the courtroom to talk. She was one of the first tenants to get access to a new program Boulder residents approved during last November's election. It helps them out with rent and pairs them with a lawyer, all for free. Tom Ward, an attorney with the program who helped her that day, says it's a big change because in the past, most tenants never sought legal help when getting evicted.
4: They're terrified. They, this is often the first time they've ever come to court. They are facing a loss of their home and economic uncertainty as a result, and potentially, with an eviction on their record, the inability to
2: rent in the future. Christy DeFurio was relieved to have someone on her side at such a critical moment. But before I share how getting a lawyer changed the outcome of her case, we need to back up a little bit to understand what led up to Christy's eviction in the first place. We're going through a giant stack of paperwork of on her living room had coffee had table. She's 39, a single mom, lives in a one-bedroom apartment just outside of Boulder in Louisville. Christy, like many tenants during the pandemic, fell way behind on rent after she suddenly lost her job selling insurance.
3: So that's the de- demand for rent or possession, and I owe ten, over $10,000. because
2: of. To work around that massive debt, the apartment complex offered her a temporary payment plan. And for a while, the agreement seemed to work out until something happened that threw everything off. One Sunday afternoon in February, Christy was messing around with one of her son's toy guns. She shot it out of her bedroom window as a prank on a friend, and several neighbors complained to the property manager. The next day, the manager taped a demand for rent on the front door. Then a couple days later, a court summons arrived in the mail.
3: Yeah, it took me like two days to open it. Like, I knew when I saw it, I was like, uh, I didn't even want to look at it because it's like... It, it was just like
2: overwhelming. At first, she thought she'd be protected by the federal eviction moratorium, which bans most evictions for non payment of rent. But it turns out the apartment complex wanted her out because of the toy gun incident. That's not something that's protected under the moratorium. Christy felt like it was an excuse.
3: And it's like you can't get evicted for um, having a toy gun even if it, it was like it's so the thing that they are actually saying it's about the money but the thing that they actually put on there is not true so that's why I went in that day and tried to fight it.
2: We reached out to Christy's apartment complex to talk about this but they didn't respond to our request. When her court date came up she drove to the Boulder County Justice Center to fight her case alone. That's where the judge connected her with Tom Wart, the program attorney. In the busy hallway outside of the courtroom that day, Tom explained to Christy all the options available to her. At this point, she still felt very overwhelmed.
3: Yeah, it's it's like it's like insurance policies. It's like it's set up like taxes, it's set up to be confusing, I think, on purpose. Like um, so that people like the normal person is confused and overwhelmed and intimidated.
2: More and more communities across the country are now looking at putting similar programs like boulders in place. And support for them is gaining a lot of traction even as the economy starts to improve because a lot of people are still struggling to pay their bills and make up for months of rent they missed during the pandemic. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau estimates more than eight million people across the country are still behind on rent. Tom Ward says it's unclear what could happen if the federal government's current eviction ban is allowed to expire later this summer. If it expires
4: and is not extended, then a cause of action, a way a way to proceed with an eviction, becomes available where it hasn't for a, a year. And there's no way to know how many landlords are out there waiting to, make evict, to evict tenants for nonpayment of
2: rent. So after looking at her case, Tom told Christy she had two options. She could go to trial, but if she lost, her landlord could evict her in 48 hours. If she made a deal that day, she would have to move out by mid-April, but wouldn't have an eviction on her record. After thinking it over, she went with the deal. Tom says it can be difficult for tenants to agree to move out, but it helps prevent an official eviction from taking place.
4: So it's my goal to keep this from being uh, an eviction from being on a tenant's record so that this is not the event that causes them to remain unhoused for as long as they stay in Colorado.
2: After making her deal, Christy's now looking for a new place to live while she starts packing up.
3: There used to be a lot more stuff here, but it's kind of bare bones. So the She's already
2: moved a few boxes and pieces of furniture near the front door. She shows me her favorite parts of her home for the past three years. Can you talk Ooh. about the drawings here?
3: Yes, I'd love to. Um, this is very special to me. Um,
2: the hallway sorry. just off the kitchen yeah. is covered yeah. in drawings she and her son did. There's a big blue octopus and a pink lotus flower growing up from the baseboard.
3: So everything on here is something I've learned from something that's been like trauma or tragic in my life and um, in my sons. And then it's what we learned and how we made it into something beautiful.
2: For her, the eviction case was one of those challenges, but she hopes to grow from it.
3: You know, it's a little win that they have this program and it's a little win that that they were there. Like that kind of was like, oh, thank God, finally something in this system. Um, but... Uh, Yeah, I finally found a win
2: in the system. She says she wants other people to realize there's help available in Boulder and to show up to court to sort it all out. Matt Bloom, KUNC.
1: The pandemic has brought many Coloradans closer to losing one of their most basic needs, housing. Tomorrow we wrap up our series On the Edge with a look at a supportive housing project in Fort Collins that's changing what it looks like to get people housed. You can find more on our series at KUNC.org.
0: A new regional business collaboration could help open up new markets in Southeast Asia for Colorado's beef cattle industry. The initial outreach has been to Vietnam, which in 2019 had risen to ninth place in the world for beef imports. Here with more on this is Ken Amundsen, Managing Editor of BizWest. Ken, thank you so much for joining us.
5: You're welcome.
0: So tell us a little bit about this collaboration. Who all is a part of this?
5: It's 15 Mile Ranch, it's called, and it's in Elbert County. The um, East Colorado SBDC Small Business Development Center in Greeley has been involved with this along with a number of other entities that have helped put together a deal that uh, enables this particular ranch to sell its beef in Vietnam and Southeast Asia.
0: Why did they reach out to Vietnam?
5: Well, as as you mentioned in the intro here, Vietnam is, is looking to import more and more beef. The, uh, I guess the palates of the people in Vietnam are interested in beef. And so the demand has been greater and greater as the economy reopens in that country as well as all around the world. There's interest in, um, in eating out and in exploring different types of food.
0: With the collaboration, I um, read that some students were involved, students from UNC. Can you explain a little more about that?
5: Students at the Montfort College of Business were tapped to help uh, write the business plan for this particular operation, and it's gotten to be quite complicated. Not only are they raising the beef uh, on the ranch, but then they purchased a processing facility in New Mexico, and then they also uh, signed a contract with a Texas organization to help market the beef in Southeast Asia, especially in Vietnam.
0: A lot of moving parts there.
5: And, of course, the the state is involved with the uh, Office of Economic Development and International Trade. They were really kind of the point organization that helped the ranch establish some contacts there. So a lot of different uh, groups involved.
0: What are the typical barriers that one might encounter in exporting agricultural products to Vietnam or other Asian countries?
5: having the contacts is one thing that would be one barrier if you don't have those contacts but i think you know once you establish some relationships then it becomes a case of meeting the standards of the country that's receiving the product and also meeting the very high standards for united states to export the uh, the products whether it's beef or other some other product the United States has a vested interest in wanting to make sure that whatever it sends overseas is of high quality, and so it maintains the reputation of the United States as a reliable trading
0: partner. You know, it's got to be tough to make plans as the world right now is just starting to reopen after the global pandemic, do trade officials feel this is the right time to pursue this?
5: you know certainly as the as the economies open up again it would be a, a good time to pursue this. but um, I think more important, you know these types of trading relationships require uh, you know they transcend the economy uh, the economic cycles and they transcend presidential administrations. so it takes years. To develop these things Uh, so now is a good time and and next year will be as well i would guess
0: ken amundsen is managing editor of biz west you will find a link to this story at our website kunc.org ken thank you so much
5: very happy to help out
0: you're listening to colorado edition from kunc when black lives matter protesters appeared in alan kennedy's denver neighborhood last year he joined them and when the police cracked down, he wrote a commentary for a local newspaper. What makes Kennedy unusual is
1: that he's also an officer in the Colorado National Guard. It's a part-time job, and his participation in the protests was as a civilian. But it still got him in trouble with his commanders. Now he's filed a lawsuit alleging they violated his First Amendment rights. KUNC's Michael DeJuana has more. The
6: death of George Floyd last May, under the knee of a police officer in Minnesota, inspired protests around the country calling for an end to systemic racism. Even members of the military decided it was time to speak out. Think about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. That's Charles Q. Brown. A top African-American Air Force general addressing his troops in a video last spring. And in Colorado, Devin Pepper, a black colonel who leads a Space Force garrison at Buckley Air Base in Aurora, wrote an essay. I am angry because it could have been me on that ground begging for my life. Pepper read a part of it to me for a story I did last year. Racism and discrimination does not care about my character nor does it care about who I am as an officer, a husband, or a father. Speaking out on race, which is an issue many in the military openly acknowledge as a problem, did not hurt Pepper, who has since been nominated for a promotion to general, nor Brown, who is now Air Force Chief of Staff. But Colorado Army National Guard Captain Alan Kennedy alleges he was punished when he brought up the issue.
7: Why did Denver police show up with to a peaceful protest on a residential street? This is my neighborhood.
6: On May 30th, 2020, Kennedy joined protesters in Denver as a white ally to Black Lives Matter. He used his cell phone to capture video of what he was seeing and broadcast it live on social media.
7: We're here to put an end to police brutality. We're here because of George Floyd.
6: Kennedy is on a narrow street that was blocked by police near the state capitol. He's not in uniform. He's dressed in a red shirt and Broncos cap. And then things take a turn for the worse.
7: Guest, guess!
6: His video shows a cloud drifting through the crowd.
7: They've no shots here, guess.
6: Kennedy also wrote about what happened in a guest commentary for the Denver Post on June 4th. In it, he accused police of firing on protesters without warning or provocation. The next day, a National Guard commander ordered him in for a meeting.
7: I walked in, saluted, sat down, and the commander read that I was flagged uh, because of an investigation, but would not release any details about the investigation or what I was accused of.
6: Kennedy's thoughts immediately went to his involvement in the protests. And it turned out he was right. When soldiers speak out, they run the risk of running afoul of their commanders. That's according to Gene Polisinski, a journalist for five decades and senior fellow for the First Amendment at the Freedom Forum, a Washington, D.C.-based nonpartisan educational foundation. But that doesn't mean soldiers give up their constitutional rights.
5: Obviously, you do not in any way stop being a U.S. citizen when you join the military.
6: Free speech issues in the military are not new they tend to arise during contentious times, like in the late 1960s and early 70s, when some troops spoke out against the Vietnam War, and times like now.
5: In the last few years between, frankly, the protests on the right and the left, uh, that whole era is coming back where protest and assembly, the right of association, has come into the public uh, consciousness.
6: Yet the freedoms of troops can be more limited. And Polisinski says soldiers who have challenged their commanders over free speech issues don't tend to fare very well, even when their cases are brought before civilian judges.
5: The courts have weighed that right of every American to be public uh, in their vocal opposition or support for government policy uh, against this military need for discipline and order and, uh, and the chain of command.
6: But when a Colorado National Guard officer completed his investigation of Kennedy on June 18th, those issues did not come up. It stated that Kennedy, quote, did not engage in any political activities in violation of any Army regulations, prohibitions, limitations, guidance, standards, policies, or federal statute.
7: The Colorado National Guard investigating officer also found that my Black Lives Matter protest participation and related op-eds were a lawful exercise of First Amendment rights.
6: But there was only one problem for Kennedy.
7: They didn't tell me that. Uh, They didn't notify, they didn't let me know the findings.
6: With no word about the investigation, Kennedy decided to push back publicly. On July 9th, he called out the National Guard for investigating him in a second op-ed, this time for Colorado Newsline. He accused them of singling him out because he marched against racism and police brutality. And then... Three days later,
7: the chief of staff of the Colorado National Guard, Colonel Beatty, called, ordered me to come in.
6: That's when Kennedy said Colonel Charles Beatty finally told him about the findings of the investigation. Yet there was still a sticking point. It came down to the disclaimer on his Denver Post commentary in which Kennedy stated the views expressed are his own. The investigating officer said Kennedy should have received approval from higher ups for the wording of his disclaimer. It amounted to a minor violation of military rules in the investigators eyes but Kennedy would be reprimanded for it.
7: You go in and you stand and salute, and then the the commander tells you to sit down, and then they read the piece of paper, um, the reprimand, and then they give it to you.
6: A reprimand can lead to negative evaluations and even be a career killer. We reached out to the Colorado National Guard to talk about the case, but they declined our request. Kennedy appealed, but Beatty declined to overturn it. Kennedy felt everything was getting out of hand because
7: The Colorado National Guard only pays me two days a month. They don't pay me to sacrifice all of my constitutional rights the rest of the month.
6: From there, things went from bad to worse. Kennedy was reprimanded again, this time for his second commentary. Brigadier General Douglas Paul, the commander of the state's Army National Guard, accused Kennedy of making untrue statements, of setting himself up as a false victim, and trying to publicly intimidate the command into refraining from its lawful use of its authority to investigate him. Kennedy says that's not what he was trying to do. At this point, it's important to know something else about him. He's also a military lawyer. And he and another military lawyer tried to overturn the reprimands, at one point going all the way to the top of the state's guard.
7: We've exhausted our administrative remedies. The further appeals are futile.
6: And so on March 16th, he filed a complaint in federal court in Denver, arguing that the National Guard cannot restrict his First Amendment rights.
7: This case is about whether any part-time member of the National Guard or reserves can peacefully protest or write out bets.
6: Under military regulations, members of the military, part-time or not, can be prohibited from participating in protests for several reasons. For instance, they can't join if, quote, violence is likely to result. Kennedy's commanders said he should have known that violence was likely and that he could have been arrested or, quote, accused of rioting. And that would reflect badly on the guard.
7: The way that this this provision has been um, applied uh, to to target Black Lives Matter protests um, is deeply concerning. I think there are hints of of racism. Here.
6: Members of the Colorado National Guard take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. That includes Kennedy, who says members are often called citizen-soldiers because they straddle both the military and civilian worlds. He says he joined Black Lives Matter protesters to support others' constitutional rights. And he says he's filed his lawsuit to defend them. Michael DeOanna, KUNC.
1: Earlier this year, we here at Colorado Edition and KUNC started an essay collection called My Colorado so that we could hear from folks across the state about some of the bigger, more nebulous issues facing Colorado and the people who live here.
0: Our current theme is a change in Colorado, and depending on where you are, change can look pretty different. Today, we head up to the high country to hear about changes in Leadville and along the Arkansas River.
8: Hello, this is Annie Livingston Garrett, and this is my essay about a changing Colorado. I'm sharing it with you from the country's highest incorporated city, Ludville, Colorado. I first visited Colorado on camping trips. I didn't become a resident until my early sixties. I remember seeing all sorts of wild animals driving through as a child, hardly a valley without herds of antelope deer and other wildlife. I'm lucky if I see them periodically in the Arkansas River Valley. Where there were ranchlands, there are housing developments, tourist attractions, restaurants and stores today. I miss those wide open places, having to hike or ride further to get to them. Colorado really flooded with tourists last summer during COVID. We locals chose not to go out into our wild places when they were most crowded. This was great for business. Our Leadville restaurants were able to deliver, take out, sit on the patios, and many of our main street businesses did better than the year before. Most folks were able to stay here with our big mountain bike and foot races canceled, as well as 4th of July activities and boom days. Our outdoor activities have been going well fly-fishing, summiting 14ers, camping, hiking, snowshoeing, Nordic skiing, as these may all be done at distance and with face masks. The National Mining Museum was able to do some virtual tours and complete some repairs on the matchless mine. Some of our stores have been opened by appointment and others have done well, distancing limiting the number of folks inside and masking. This is a whole different way to be here in Laval, but most folks complied. City folk were wanting to get away from crowds. Our houses are selling quickly for insane prices. There is a new mixed development going up in poverty flats and our local affordable housing projects are still in the works. A new justice center is in the process of obtaining land and our second fire station will be built this coming summer. Some old timers have left, health, Family elsewhere, it's just not like it was when I was growing up. Talented young folks with families and vested interests in our community have moved in, along with active retirees. Our public library programming has continued, though it may be take-home and/or distanced. Included is a library of things: arts, crafts, telescopes, microscopes, games, musical instruments for checkout as well as hotspots to connect more folks. Our not-for-profits all joined together to feed our community with the help of unemployed workers. I see Colorado growing and leaving behind some things, much like the remains of ghost towns, but bringing many blessings too. This rural mountain community continues to show up, volunteer, shovel for seniors, stack wood, provide transportation to medical appointments, getting through our virus vaccine protocol. We have had our tragedies, but we keep getting back up, surrounding our grieving families and keep on keeping on. While we are famous for our mountains, the spirit of our community
1: is what I love about Leadville. That's our show for today. I'm Henry Zimmerman.
0: And I'm Aaron O'Toole. Our production team includes Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer.
1: Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.